We're going to go to Malachi chapter 3 this morning. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of Malachi this summer, taking a week off here or there, uh, but we're back at it today. Uh, going to finish it out here in August, and Nathaniel did a great job a couple weeks ago of starting us off on chapter 3, and uh, so we're going to try to finish that, or not finish, but we're going to take it to the next section this morning. So it's going to be Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, and we're going to be talking about the one topic in church that most people never want to talk about, and that is money. Um, so just kind of buckle in this morning. This is going to be very, I think it's actually going to be very encouraging uh, to some of you, maybe challenging for others, um, but it's important that we uh, hear what the Lord has to say to us on this. Uh, we're big proponents here at Harvest of going through the Bible verse by verse, and so that means we don't skip topics that we don't like. Uh, we listen and we let the Lord speak to us. Amen? All right, I want you to say that before I started so that we're all, you're already locked in, like you're, you can't back out now, Okay. Um, maybe you've heard this question before. Would you rather have a penny today that doubles every day for a month or a million dollars today? If I gave you the choice, I'll give you a penny today that will double every day for the next month, or you can have a million dollars today. Which one would you take? Most people would jump at the million dollars, right? Because they're like, that's, that's a lot of money. Like, give me that. I want that up front. But if you've, heard this, if you've heard the question before, if you've done the math, that penny ends up being over $5 million by the end of the month. But the key is, you have to be patient enough to wait and trust that it will get to that $5 million at the end of the month, right? But most people in our culture today, they don't want to wait, they don't want to be patient, they want the shortcut, right? Give me the shortcut to get the good stuff and to get there now, and so often, we often will approach God like that as well, that we want the shortcut, right? Like, get me to the good stuff now, God. But what God's Word encourages us and exhorts us to do that we're going to look at today is to be patient and to, be, and to wait on the faithfulness of the Lord to come in His time. And we will benefit more from that than we ever will from the shortcut grab. And so Malachi is going to press on that for us this morning, and this is the big idea I want you to walk away with. Can, I can receive more from God than I can rob from God. I can receive more from God than I can rob from God. Now, that probably sounds like a weird statement this morning, but you're going to see as we unpack the passage what I'm talking about, all right? So let's go to verse 7, and we'll start there. It says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Point number one this morning is this. Stop robbing God. Again, I know that sounds like a really weird, blunt statement, but, but we're going to unpack that in just a moment. But before we can even get to that, look where he starts in verse 7, because this is an important place. He says, from the days of your fathers. This is God's way of saying, hey, what I'm about to address, what I'm about to talk to you about, this is not an isolated incident. This isn't something that just popped up recently, right? Like, this has been going on for a while. This has been your whole life. In fact, this has been generations before you. This has been from the beginning of time. 
from the days of your fathers, he says, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. You have disobeyed me. You have rebelled against my commands. You have ignored my word. You've been sinning against me from the jump, God says. And when God makes a statement like that, I think in our natural thinking, we, what we would expect Him to say next is, so that's it. Right? Like, this has been going on for years, your whole life, generations, you never listen, you always disobey, so that's it. I'm done. It's over. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't deal with you anymore. I've redeemed you out of exile. I've put you back in the promised land, and you're still dishonoring and disrespecting me, so I'm out. I'm done with you. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like, man, if I, like surely, if I have one more major slip up, God's going to finally say like, you know what, that's it, no more. If I if I can't get this right, if I can't get this on track, surely enough, eventually God's going to get sick of me and just cast me off. Anybody ever feel that way before? Look at what he says next. Return to me. In other words, it's not too late. There's still a chance. The door is still open for you. He says, return to me. The word return there literally means repent. Turn away from what you're doing and come back to the Lord. Come back to me. He says, return to me and I will return to you. That right there is the true heart of God. That is forever His posture towards you and me. He wants us back. He doesn't want to cast us off. He doesn't want to be done. He wants us back in relationship with Him no matter what we've done. This is why the Gospel is so critical to our lives in Christ. Because all of us, from the days of our fathers, from the jump, we have been sinning against God. We've been in rebellion against Him. We have disobeyed His Word. We have broken His laws. And we deserve His wrath. And yet, because He loves us, because of His grace, because He wants us back, Instead of sending his wrath, he sent his son, Jesus, to come to earth and to live a perfect and sinless life and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. He died for my sin and your sin. He stood in our place on the cross and he took the death that we deserved and he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life proving that he was God and saying, return to me. I will forgive you. I will save you. I will cleanse you if you will just turn back to me. God did all of that because He wants to forgive us. He wants to restore us. No matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've done it, He says, return to me with a heart of repentance. But look at how the people respond to God's invitation to return. They say, how shall we return? In other words, they're saying, what, what, what do you mean, God? What, what have we done? What do we have 
that we need to return from. There's an insinuation in their question of like, I don't really think we need that. I don't think there's anything that I need to repent of. And in that question, they portray to us how blind and hard-hearted and prideful they really are that they can't imagine that there's anything that they might need to repent of. And so God spells it out for him. He says, will man rob God? And yet, you are robbing me. Think about that phrase for a second. You're robbing me. God's saying, you have stolen from me. You have taken what is mine. You have ripped off the holy God. To which the people respond, Wait, what? <laughs> what? How, how have we robbed you? So again, he gets even more specific. In your tithes and contributions. Oh. Yeah. About that. Now, those two phrases are, are specific in the text here. Tithes was the commanded Uh, financial giving that they were supposed to give to the temple to further the worship of God. That was the whole purpose of the tithe. It was given to the temple to supply the priests and the Levites so they could continue to lead the people in the worship of God. So the tithes and then contributions were like free will offerings that would be above and beyond that tithe. that They would give because they just love the Lord and they want to worship Him and they've been blessed. So they want to give beyond the tithe to the Lord as an act of worship. So he says, these two areas, he says, is where you have robbed me. You have not been faithful or generous in your giving to me, he says. Now, that part right there, I I don't think it surprised them. Because they knew, they knew that they were not giving to the Lord as as he had commanded them to do. But here's what they were thinking. Eh, it's not that big of a deal. We give some. We don't give as much as we're supposed to, but, but it's not that big of a deal. Like, no one's perfect, right? Like, I could be doing better, but nobody's perfect. And surely, you know, after all, it is, it is my money, right? Like, I earned this. I worked for this. So it's my choice how much I want to give. God says, nope. Nope. He says, you're robbing me. You know, you can't rob someone of something that isn't already theirs. Right? Robbing implies ownership. Right? God is telling us here, hey, listen, your money is not your money. It's mine. I'm the one who gave it to you. I'm the owner, you're just the manager. You're just the steward, it all belongs to me. And so when you refuse to give me what is mine, what I've commanded you to give back to me, you are actually robbing me. I don't think we think about it like that most of the time. I don't think they thought about it like that. He goes on, he says, you are cursed with a curse. 
for robbing me. Now, historically, what was happening here was the people during this time, they were experiencing both a famine in the land as well as a plague of locusts that were just devouring their crops and taking up all their livelihood. Like, they were financially suffering because of this. And, and God says, hey, that's not just, a, a, that's not just a, a, a random event. That is a consequence, a financial consequence, because of your financial disobedience. He says, in robbing me, you are actually losing more than you're gaining. So stop robbing me. I'm sure many of you, like us, have a bank account somewhere that you kind of put your money and you store it there and you pay bills and you do all the things, right? And so, like, if you went into your bank tomorrow and you said, hey, I need to withdraw $1,000 from my bank account, all right, assuming you had $1,000 in there, um, if you said, hey, I need to withdraw $1,000 from my bank account, and the banker said, um, yeah, sorry, we can't do that. We've actually decided um, we're just going to keep your money. It's ours now. You would be like, nah. <laughs> Like on the phone immediately with the management, with the police, with the government, like whoever you had to call, be like, hey, they're, because they're stealing my money. It's my money. I'm just letting you hold on to it for a little bit. You're just managing it for me. That wouldn't fly, right? That's exactly what God is saying here. To keep his ties, to keep his contributions for ourselves is actually stealing from God because it all belongs to Him in the first place. We're just managing it. So the first question we have to deal with this morning is this, am I robbing God? And don't dismiss that too quickly this morning, like the Israelites did. Like, process this for yourself in your own heart. Do I need to repent and return to God in my finances. And if so, don't just think about what you need to do. I want you to think about the why this morning. Because when it comes to repentance, when it comes to returning to God, it's never really about the what, it's mainly about the why. It's about why my heart is doing or not doing whatever it is. So to help you kind of process your heart this morning when it comes to giving and robbing God, I want to give you five reasons why we rob God. Five things that we think or feel that might cause us to hold back what God's told us to give. Number one, fear. There's not going to be enough. If I give this to God, I'm not going to have enough for the rest of the month to pay the bills and to do the groceries and to do the gas and to do all the things. And to that idea, I would point you to 1 Kings 17, if you know this story. There's a story where there's a famine in the land, everybody's suffering, everybody's struggling financially, and God sends his prophet Elijah to go to this widow in Zarephath, and he goes to the widow and he says, hey, God sent me to you, and you're supposed to, you're supposed to feed me. You're supposed to give me some food. And the widow responds, oh, well, all I have is this little bit of flour and this little bit of oil. I'm about to make the last meal for me and my son. We're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. And Elijah's like, yeah, I hear that. Give me something first. Okay? He wasn't always the most sensitive guy, but nonetheless, God told him to do this. So the widow, in faith, 
does what God says, and he, she makes him a meal first and then for herself. And as he promised, the flour and the oil from that point on never ran out. And she always had enough for her family the rest of the famine. That's what God's talking about. He's saying, hey, just trust me. Even if you don't think there's going to be enough. Even if, it, even if the math doesn't work, even if it doesn't look like you're, you're going to make it, just trust me and I will provide for you. And if we're really being honest this morning, I don't think there's probably any of us in this room that are truly down to just the necessities. Right? Like we're still eating out sometimes. We still got some streaming services coming across our TV, right? We still got kids doing activities that we're paying for. We got, still got other stuff that we're buying. We're not truly down to n- nothing. We're not in danger of not having enough. We're just in danger of not having what we want. And so that fear really isn't a legitimate reason. Number two is excuses. Well, I know I don't give what I should financially, but I give in other ways. Right? I give my time. I give my talents. I serve the Lord. I serve. So, so that's kind of in place of the giving. The only problem with that is serving is not an excuse to disobey God with your money. Because he actually says, hey, do both. <laughs> the scripture actually says to give and to serve. It's not like pick and choose which one you want. God says do both, and serving can't replace giving because giving is more about the heart than it is about the gift. In Matthew chapter 6, 24, it says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In other words, when you rob God, you are actually worshiping money. The third reason is grace. I know I'm not giving what I should, but you know, God, God knows my situation and He understands. He understands He'll forgive me if I don't give what I'm supposed to. To that I would say yes and no. Yes, God forgives us of every sin we ever commit if we repent. Grace doesn't come and forgiveness doesn't work until we return back to the Lord like he just said here. Grace is not a pass for me to continue to walk in disobedience to the Lord even when it comes to finances. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness is not meant for you to just keep doing whatever you want to do. It's meant to lead you back to him, to return to him, and to get right with the Lord. God's patience and grace are not a pass for you to rob from him. It's an opportunity for you to turn to him. In repentance. Fourth reason we rob from God is pride. I kind of touched on this earlier a little bit, but it's my money, right? I earned it. 
I worked hard for this. I work all these hours every week for the, like I should get a ch- I should get to de- to say how I how I spend it, how I give it. I deserve that cuz I earned it. And that sounds really good in our heads because it's a very American way of thinking. But here's the problem with that. Deuteronomy 8:18 8, says you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Your talents, your abilities, your strength, your good health, all the things you have to have to make that money, all of that comes from God too. He gives us everything. And so if anyone deserves it, it's not us, it's Him. The last one, number five, is greed. Just simple, straight up greed. I want more and more and more. And we might never admit it out loud with our mouths, but in our hearts, we know when we're not satisfied. When we're wanting that next thing. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. In other words, every time you rob from God... You are loving money more than Him and you are wandering away from fellowship with Him. Because you wanted more of whatever this was over here. Because you're worshiping money rather than using money to worship the Lord. And so again, go back to that question and just do an honest heart. Say, I'm not trying to do this for you. I don't know where you're at with this. I don't check your, your bank account. But the Lord does. And so just you and Him have a heart check for a moment here. Like, am I robbing God with my finances? He goes on to talk about it more, though. Look at verse 10 again. He says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Point number two is this, start fully giving to God. Start fully giving to God. He says right there, bring in the full tithe. That word full is important because he's, he's really drilling down on what the issue was here. It wasn't that they weren't giving anything. They were giving something, but they weren't giving the full amount that God had told them to give. And again, I think this is a trap that we fall into oftentimes. It's like, well, I am giving, are you giving what God has fully commanded you to give? Now, when we talk about tithing or tithe, that might be a new term or a new idea for some of you. Some of you will be familiar with this. But I'm going to give you just real quick five biblical truths or facts about tithing. Five things you need to know what the Bible says about what is a tithe and what's that look like, okay? Number one, tithe means a tenth. That's literally the definition of the word. It means a tenth. It means we're supposed to, God tells us to give him 10% of our income. Okay? Number two, tithe is symbolic of God's ownership of everything. Again, he owns 100% of it. And he only asks us to give him 10% back as a reminder to us that, hey, this is all his and he's letting me use the other 90. First Chronicles 29.14 says, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, And of your own have we given you. 
We're just giving him back 10% of all that he has given to us that he actually owns. The third one is a tithe is off the top. The tithe is off the top. It comes first. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. That means before Washington gets their taxes, before Jeff City gets their taxes, before you put in money into your pension or your 401k, before you pay your union dues, before you pay your health care, before anything else comes out of your paycheck, the tithe comes off the top. The gross amount. First fruits. Because if we give him any point lesser in that equation, we're giving him less than the 10% that he has commanded. Number four, tithing is an enduring spiritual principle. It predates the Old Testament law, and therefore it continues after the law. This is one where some people want to debate about a tithe. It's like, well, that was, that was the Old Testament law. We're not under the law anymore. We don't have to do that anymore. If you actually if you go back to Genesis, there's two different places, Genesis 14 and then Genesis 28, where Abraham and then his grandson Jacob both give a tithe unto the Lord as an act of worship to him long before Moses of the law ever came into play. And so God has set this up as a universal spiritual principle for us to follow as worshipers of God, regardless Old Testament, New Testament. And then lastly, number five, a tithe is a starting place for New Testament giving. Even if you want to make the argument that that's Old Testament law, when we look at the New Testament, what in the New Testament is less than the Old Testament? Right? Jesus never lowered the bar. He always raised the bar. He was like, oh, hey, the Old Testament said, hey, don't, don't murder. I tell you, if you even hate your brother, that is murder, right? Or they said, the Old Testament said, hey, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even lust after someone, right? Like, he always raised the bar. He didn't lower the bar. So, in the Old Testament, he said, a tithe is 10%, but if you actually look at the, the whole law, they actually give about 30% of their income with all the other offerings they had to do. But let's just go with the tithe, that's 10%. And then in, in the New Testament, Paul says, hey, be even more generous. So 10% is where we start, and then God grows our generosity as he grows us in spiritual walk with him through the years. Because really, guys, the whole point of the tithe, the whole point of giving is about having a heart like God's heart. And our God is generous. He gave us everything. He even gave us himself on the cross for our sins. And we want to be givers like he is a giver. He says, bring in the full tithe into the storehouse, into my house. So he's referring there very specifically to the temple. And in the temple, they had a storage room where they would store all the tithes and all the offerings that came in. And they would use those tithes and offerings to fund the priests and the Levites who didn't have other ways to make money. That they served the Lord full time in the worship capacity, and so that would all help um, you know, serve, or, uh, support them so they could lead the people in worship. So in essence, the tithe was meant to support the worship of God. That was the purpose of the tithe, to support the worship and the mission of God and His kingdom. And one of the things that we talk about here at Harvest often is, and if you're new, this might be fresh for you, but mission, the mission of God, which is what we get 
focused on a lot these days in church is important, but it's actually a byproduct of worship. Mission doesn't come first. Evangelism, discipleship, mercy ministry, uh, justice, all those things are important and they're good, but they're byproducts of worship. The first thing is we worship and we glorify God and we get our hearts right with Him and then He produces in us and through us all those mission things that we go out and do. So the tithe is meant to support the worship of God and then everything else follows from that. And that's what He was calling them back to here. It was about God's worship and His glory first. Not their preferences, not their desires, not how they would do it but the worship of the Lord. When Courtney and I first got married, um, we immediately started tithing to our local church because we'd grown up like that. Our parents did that. We saw that modeled for us, and we just believed that that was what was biblical and worshipful for us to do. So we started giving a tithe. However, over time, we came in contact with like other ministries, you know, like outside the church, like missionaries or or other causes, or different nonprofit groups that were doing things that we thought were like good gospel ministry. They were serving the Lord, and we wanted to support them as well as the local church. And so it's been our habit, our whole marriage, to give to these other various groups outside of the local church. And some of you I know probably do the same thing. Orphan care, mercy, mercy ministries, foster care, revival ministries, missionaries, all these kind of things that we're a part of, right? However, as we gave to those additional groups, it was always above and beyond our 10% tithe to the local church. Because that had to come first. And throughout the years, God has even led us to increase that tithe to the local church beyond 10% as he's blessed us. And he's grown us in that, and, and we're joyful to be able to give him that. And so I believe that this is exactly what the Bible describes for us as New Testament believers. That the first 10% goes to the local church to support the worship of God amongst His people. And then we can give additional offerings either to the church or to other groups outside of the church as God leads us to support further gospel ministry in the world. However, as I've pastored now for a while, I regularly have these conversations with believers where they want to challenge that or they want to kind of push back on that. They're like, well, I don't, I don't really think the church is doing their job. Or I don't think the church is, is being a good steward of their resources. I don't think that they're doing this right. They're not doing that right. I think this ministry over here or this person's doing a better job at the gospel than the church is. So I want to give to them instead. And here's what I would say to that. In some cases, you're right. There are some churches who are being bad stewards of God's resources. And they will give an account of that to the Lord. Not to you. And God never asked you to police that for him. What he asked you to do is to be obedient to his word, which says give 10% to your local church. And if you're in a church that you are so convicted that they are not handling God's resources correctly, then you need to find a different church where you can be obedient and faithful to what God's called you to. Don't let their disobedience lead you to disobedience. 
And then if you need to give to something else beyond local church, hey, praise the Lord for that. We do that. That's great. But that's after that 10%. Don't shortchange God's church. The church is the primary vehicle that God has established to take the gospel forward and are the primary ones who've been doing it for the last 2,000 years. So let's trust the Lord in that and let's get into a place where we know that the church is pursuing Him and is pursuing the gospel and let's be faithful to what God's called us to do there. Because if we don't, Malachi says, we're robbing God. So yeah, be generous to others, other people, other groups, but first, be faithful to the Lord and to what he's called us to. So the second question this morning is, am I giving a full tithe to God? Am I giving a full tithe to God? Lastly, the thing he talks about here at the end, look at verse 10. This is, this is a really encouraging part. He says, And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it, may, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not bear, fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Number three, last thing this morning, secure the blessing of God. Notice what he says there in verse 10. He says, put me to the test. In other words, just try me. And when I read that, it reminded me of my mama when I was growing up. Sometimes she'd be like, yeah, you think so? Just try me. Let's just see how that goes, right? And it was usually in a negative connotation because I was usually doing something I shouldn't be doing. And she was like, you want to, yeah, go for it. Just try me. See what happens. But God's not saying it here in a negative way. He's saying it in a positive way. He's saying, hey, try me. You, you, don't, you don't think it's going to work? Just try me. Test me. Just see. And I will prove to you my faithfulness. He says, well, I, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. The words he's using there are actually the same words from the story of Noah, where God opened up the windows of heaven and flooded the earth. We all know that story, how that went, right? Like there wasn't a single speck of ground that wasn't covered in water. God's saying, hey, just test me, just try me, and I will open up and I will pour down blessing. I will send all the blessing overflowing And I will fill every single need that you have. Now, this is the part where maybe like the hyper-spiritual people will chime in. They'll be like, yeah, but what do blessings really mean? Right? Like, is he talking about money there? Because it's probably spiritual blessings. Because obviously if we talk about money, that's too worldly. We can't talk about that. That's not, we're not supposed to have money. And so it means something else. For sure, God does sometimes give blessings in the form of other ways. But not in this context. In the context right here, the blessing that he promises here, it might be more than financial, but it's not less. Right? He's specifically saying, test me financially and I will bless you financially. Look, we kind of miss it in the language because we're not farmers. Look what he says. I will rebuke the devourer. And your vine will not fail to bear. 
In other words, I'll get rid of the locust, I'll take away the famine, I will bring back the prosperity that you've been missing because of your disobedience in your giving. He's promising them financial blessing if they will just test him and be faithful in how they give. Robbing brings financial consequences. But giving brings financial blessings promised by God. But then notice this very last statement. This is the best part. He says, then all the nations will call you blessed. Don't miss that. That's not a throwaway statement there. This is where God reveals his ultimate purpose in blessing us, in blessing his faithful followers is that His name and His glory might be great among the nations. Everyone knew Israel was Yahweh's people. And so if they're blessed, if they're prosperous, that glorifies Him. He says, be faithful and I will bless you and then my name will be glorified and my worship will amplify all across the world. Don't get it twisted. This promised blessing, it's not for you to just be rich and sail off into the sunset. It's for you to use what God gives you to bless and glorify His name in all the world and in your heart. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing for Him and for His kingdom. So ask yourself again, am I experiencing the blessing of God? Why or why not? Am I experiencing this type of blessing, the the open up the windows, pour down, saturate my life? Am I experiencing that kind of blessing? And if so, great, keep doing that. If not, go back to the first two questions. Because I can receive more from God than I can rob from God. If you have that short-term mentality, well, I'm going to give less this month because I really need it for this over here and I don't know if God's going to provide for that. No, you're wrong. (laughs) Give to the Lord and He will give you more than you need. Friends, this isn't just some self-serving marketing scheme from the pastor today. (laughs) I know it's easy to think that, but if you look, it's right here in the Word. I'm not making it up. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose for you as a follower of Christ. And I've seen God fulfill this in our lives over and over and over again. All the way back to when I was a little kid, I remember my mom as a single mom giving literally her last dollars for the week to the missionary on Sunday night because God told her to give. I remember my dad using his business to finance and help fund many of the church things behind the scenes that nobody knew about. I remember Courtney and I, when we were first called into full-time ministry, we had to take a pay cut of more than half while we still had an unsold house and a mortgage payment and a new baby on the way to go into ministry. And in every single one of those scenarios, God has always provided for us. More than we needed. Never been without. Because God blesses those who are faithful to his name. You can't outgive God. 
but you have to trust him. You have to trust that he is good and faithful and he will do what he said. Are you trusting God in your finances right now? Are you trusting him and giving him the full tithe? If not, just test him. Just try it. For a few months, just try it. Test him and just see what God does. I promise you, you will not regret it. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much for meeting with us again this morning, Lord, for for coming and, and filling this place with your presence. Lord, we recognize today, Heavenly Father, that right now, all things come from you. All things belong to you. All that we have is yours. And yet we confess, Lord, that we so often treat it as if it's our own. Forgive us. Forgive us for robbing you and worshiping the idol of money and greed. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust in this great promise that you give us of plentiful provision if we will fully give to you. You are Jireh. You are the God who provides and will meet our every need for your glory. So we worship you. We look to you alone, Lord, as our source. We pray all this in Christ's name.